this off at the beginning. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's episode of the Group Therapy Podcast. Tonight, we have uh, somebody who was on the podcast way back when, when it was only audio, and uh, somebody who I've known for a bunch of years now, uh, Henrik Kudo, movie director extraordinaire. <laughs> hey, hey, how's it going, man? Pretty good. Oh, man. It's a... Uh, it's fun because I uh, I try to jump on because you're on while I'm at the shop. So yeah. Wednesdays when you hop on, I try to at least get on and chime on a little bit and, and have fun. Um, that's I, I would love to do that, but I I legitimately record like like I'm doing now at like ten o'clock at night. Yeah. So. <laughs> you might be surprised the listenership you might get at ten o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, might not be too bad well i i've i've checked out my um audio and it shows like the times when people listen yeah and you know now like it, it was off because I, I was getting some for some reason i was getting a lot of stuff overseas mm-hmm. and that stuff's kind of faded away so now it's almost strictly united states but um most of my stuff is mid-afternoon or really really late at night <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah, it's um, I, I got I legitimately keep my audio one up for a handful of people I know that are truck drivers. Oh yeah, yeah, because they're like, well, I want to listen to your podcast, but I don't want to run YouTube in my truck while I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, um, Henrik, you have been making movies since you were a little kid, right? I mean, if you want to go into the the most uh, basic form of of yeah. making movies, then yeah, it's been since I was a uh, I was a little kid. Uh, I mean, you know, I I kind of consider that to be my formative, you know, years as a budding filmmaker. Uh, the first time I made anything and showed it to people was when I was twelve years old, uh, working in cable access. So that was my kind of the start of my whole my whole deal was I was the youngest, I was not the youngest volunteer, but I was the youngest volunteer to produce their own programming. There were kids younger than me who had taken the classes and learned how to operate the cameras, but they were always working with like youth pastors or teachers or or whatever. And then I walked in this little 12 year old brat, you know, and I was just like, I'm gonna make a show. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And they were as good as you would expect, by the way, so. <laughs> <laughs> I I uh, I made my first movie oh, so around the same time so like junior high big yeah. old VHS camcorder uh, it was like my friend's dad's we decided one summer we were going to make a horror movie and <laughs> we, I, I would die if somebody still had a copy of that out there somewhere but it's, <laughs> I, I played the the you know, you're sitting there 12 years old, so you're trying to play a killer, and no one takes yeah. a 12 year old. <laughs> I, I, I set this whole scene up, man. I was going to be the killer. I directed it, and I set my friend's pool, like holding my breath underwater while the girl looked <laughs> over the edge of the pool, and then I come out and grabbed her and I pulled her in the pool. <laughs> and, and 12 year old Paul thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, but then I look back at all the horror movies I was watching. Then I was like, that's in every movie. 
Well, but that's that's how you learn is kind of by repeating what you see. Oh yeah. I was actually rewatching. It, well, you wouldn't expect maybe this to be one of my influential movies, but I was rewatching Five Deadly Venoms, the Shaw Brothers Kung oh, Fu movie. I love that movie. And I, I love it too. And I've been obsessed with Shaw Brothers movies since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I realized rewatching one of the better ones, I mean, because, you know, Shaw Brothers studio, like you could literally see them learning how to make movies yeah. as they made more and more movies that were successful. And that's the great thing about Five Deadly Venoms. I would watch it and be like, wow, some of the editing is so sloppy that I'm actually like, I, I bet I learned how to make how to make action scenes from watching these because the editing was just sloppy enough that I could see the seams and see what they were doing, you know, how they were making that effect work or how they were making you uh, convinced something was was real. Yeah. And I remember make I mean, like I used to want when I was the teenager it would be like i would get like three or four friends together and be like let's go to the park and film a fight scene and we would just film you know people fighting on the playground equipment and it would mostly be just kids goofing off and you know fake punching but then we would try to do like somewhere i'd be like what if i what if i throw an uppercut but i throw it behind your head so the camera doesn't see that it misses you and then you go ah and you fall back and we would do that and then i'd go home and put a sound effect on it be like oh my god it looks like i just uppercut you in the face and then it'd be like well now we gotta go back and do that like eight more times you know (laughs) we gotta master it now and that was uh and that that was kind of the beginning of of all of the you know the doom that is my adult life as a filmmaker because i i got that's the big thing is it's all about obsession Mm -hmm. i was so obsessed with every element of making these movies. I had my big fat VHS camcorder and I used to sit in my bedroom all weekend with the camcorder plugged into my VCR, trying to edit it by playing and hitting record at the right moments and then stopping it. And then figuring out that I could dub audio in by using a Y cable and stuff like all of this ridiculous stuff that in hindsight, I was telling a friend about this uh, a couple of years back and they were like, how did you learn that stuff? And I was like, I have no idea. It wasn't even on the internet yet. No. Like I'm, I just figured out like, oh, well, I know how to plug my VCR in to things and I know how to plug things into my VCR. And then one day I was like, wait, if these two cords are sound, what if I plug, unplug those and plug my CD player into it and hit play? And then before, you know, I was making like music videos of my mom's dogs. And the funniest part is that this was like, that just tells you how addicted to movie making I was because on the weekends, when I was fortunate, I could go to the cable access station, use their, their cameras, use their editing equipment, which back then was not digital. It no. was tape to tape. Yep. Um, but because I couldn't always be there, I couldn't live there. I was a child. I would, when I wasn't able to be there, I'd be in my bedroom trying to do what I do there, but in my bedroom. And, and which is just crazy to think about. Like uh, whenever I, I used to teach, uh, classes on uh, making your own TV shows when I was uh, back when I had, you know, when I worked in polite society. And I remember the hardest thing was somebody was like, well, how do you become a good editor? And I was like, well, you need to edit. You need to be a bad editor for a really good bit of time. And you need to make mistakes and then try again and keep going. And you need to put years in until yeah. you really kind of become effortless. And they were like, well, that's really hard. And I'm like, I can't teach you to be passionate. Like, I, I mean, I want you to be successful, but I can't sit here and tell you, I can't teach you to become obsessed uh, yeah. at all. Yeah I, yeah. I remember being a kid, same with you, camcorder, make it, trying to make movies and stuff. And um, 
the our library had like three books, maybe four, on video editing, <laughs> and that was you know for you know people to make wedding videos and stuff like that. So I'm like sitting there, so I I read through those, and I was like you said with the VCR, and I, yeah. thought, I was like, oh well, there's multiple inputs. So I can, I can hook this VCR up, the camcorder up, I can hook sound into the back and I would do all that stuff. And then I started like, you know, making music videos. Cause you can, okay, well I can just yep. take the, the, the dialogue out or whatever, and then just put in music and we'd have our own little thing. And they'd always look terrible because it'd be like the third generation you dubbed. Oh yeah. Order, you, Cause you'd make the whole video once. So it's already dubbed once. Yep. And then you take that tape and put it into your player and into the recorder. And then you replace the sound, you time it up, you hit play at the right moment and you let it play through. So it's like the third, third or fourth generation. So you're like, man, this is bitch. And meanwhile, people are like, is that red or is that blue? and you're and you're like it's dope you know like, it's the best or, or well i'm old enough we didn't even have like cds so it was cassette tape oh wow yeah running you know i had a dual deck cassette player and it was like going through that and and uh i i i don't i don't miss those days now i can just legitimately put everything <laughs> on on this computer that i'm recording oh, on yeah. right now yep it's it's so much easier and when so when i was coming up uh Gosh, because I was 12 and I mean, let's see, I turned 18 in 2005. So I wasn't, I was like, when I turned 16, like that was when it was like, okay, editing on a computer at home is now only $4,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like it's not $20,000. It's now four or five or whatever. And I remember begging and pleading that my for my mother to loan me the money to buy an edu what's called an it was called an emac it wasn't an imac it was an emac it was a specifically manufactured uh and marketed macintosh computer for educational use yeah and you got the massive educational discount for being a student anywhere or a teacher Mm -hmm. So I was able to literally scan my high school ID. They made us wear IDs around our necks every day. So I had a high school ID. I scanned it and my mom sent in the order and it was like, it knocked it down to like $2,100 or something, which was insanely cheap back then. Oh yeah. And and this Mac, I still have this Mac in my garage. It still turns on, by the way. Uh, It still kicks on. It it did not handle when HD became a thing very well, though. It was, it was, but it was a beast for editing uh, mini DV and stuff like that. So I begged for this computer, for the loan to get this computer. Uh, My mother ended up only making me pay back half of it. The other half, she just wanted to support uh, what was it? We came from very humble beginnings, but my teen years were very good to us. Like my mom made really good money. We moved into the suburbs and life was, uh, was a little bit more, uh, pleasant, but that was the funniest thing. So speaking of all of that, because of that, that experience, whenever I would tell mom, like, I want to get a job or, or go do whatever my mom would be like, Nope, your job is be a kid. What do you want? Do you want me to buy you something? Like, do you want some money? Like, I don't want you to work. Cause my mom's worked since she was 12 years old. So she would be like, what do you want? And then I like, it was like my version of, of uh, standing up to her and doing my own thing was I was like, I'm starting my own business. So I work every day. So like, by the time I was 15, I had my own mail order business and I was doing DVD off 
authoring. It was 15 or 16. After I got the computer, I would do DVD authoring for clients and stuff. And it was, it was how I was trying to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But it was just funny that my mom would always say, like, you don't need to work. You're too young to work. And I'd be like, we'll see about that. Now I have to work, you know, like, so, but, and, and that's kind of, I guess, was what I was, I, I wanted to lead into was the, the thing about my backyard movie experiences is that I, that I always was so audacious. I didn't just shoot these little movies and cut them together. I shot them, cut them together, authored a DVD. Uh, I would go to my mother's office and use the laser copier when no one was around. And I'd make the sleeves. I'd get the cases from a buddy who worked at Blockbuster because they would throw away the original cases. You know, yeah, yeah. So they could use the proprietary Blockbuster yep. cases. So I would like, I would be out. Every copy was out like 38 cents on the DVD-R. Uh, you know, everything else I'd gotten completely for free. Because I'll tell you right now, those laser uh, laser copiers, I mean, it would pump out like 75 full color copies in like a minute and a half. So I'd just be like, peace out. And, you know, run away. <laughs> as fast as fast can be, you'll never catch me. Uh, actually, I would just walk in and fist bump the head of security because he was like friends with my mom for like 30 years or something. So I'd just walk in like, hey, man. He'd be like, hey, bro. And then I'd go and just steal a bunch of ink and paper. Um, but... <laughs> But, uh, but so, yeah, so none of this stuff ever really got to be, um, unknown or unseen if it was embarrassing. I started out straight up airing stuff on cable, which, and you know, you know, the best thing about little 12 year old, 13 year old Henrik making this cable show is that I put my email address on it, <laughs> you know, cause I want feedback or whatever. Yeah. So, but, and this was in the days of AOL. So I had an AOL address which i plastered all over the show and then i would get aol instant messenger like harassment constantly you know, just random people who needed to really desperately inform me what they thought my sexual orientation was you know they were just they were just dying to let me know and i used to i used to save all of the conversations where they would like go on and on and on and and post them on my little aol web page which was the official quote-unquote web page of you know the the show i was doing and, and then they'd get mad. They'd be like, what'd you post that for? And I'd be like, I'm posting this too. You know? <laughs> but, uh, and I'm like, at that point, I'm like 14 or, or something like that. But I was always, I was always working on something at the access station. Cause the other cool thing about being at the access station was uh, down, down where I lived at the time, we were a part of what was called the Miami Valley communication council or cable uh-huh. council back then. Yep. And that's a, a, an extra large cable access station because it's eight, uh, pretty decent sized uh, uh, suburb cities. So, you know, they've got some pretty good financing in it, but that also means that when your show broadcasts there, it broadcasts to at least eight towns, which, you know, that's great until, you know, you're a child just goofing off and then airing it to the world. So, but yeah, that was the big thing was I was always so audacious. I, I, so I would start, like I used to have in high school before I dropped out, I used to have, uh, two trapper keepers and one was my school stuff and the other one was full of dvds of like the latest whatever the hell i'd done in my backyard which i would try to sell for five bucks to anybody in school who would listen and and that was so that was the big thing was that i i just never let any of it be a secret i was just always going everybody look i made mistakes you know like i don't know why i was that way because my mother is like a very shy person. She was always fascinated. She was like, you really want to just like be on television right now doing all this? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I do. I'm sorry, but I do. <laughs> and once I was like uh, 15, 16, 17, because you, you know, not only would you hang out at the cable access station to make your own shows, but you'd come and like run camera on somebody else's show. Yep. You know, you would trade, you know, uh, 
And that became like my social hub, which was extra weird because I'm like 15, 16, everybody else is in their mid to late twenties at, at least. So all of my friends in my, in my uh, mid teens were just like in their twenties. Uh, which was, which my mom was always like keeping an eye on, uh, very closely, you know? So, but I was just addicted to it. I used to, um, my mom used to drop me off at the cable council, uh, at like uh, 10 AM on a, or it was 9 30 AM on a Saturday. That's cause they, that's when they opened the doors mm-hmm. was at 9 30 AM. So that you could be rolling camera by 10 AM. And, uh, she would drop me off with a $5 bill. Because somebody who worked there, everybody knew me. So somebody would inevitably be like, I'm going to run to Arby's and get lunch. And I'd be like, ah, ah, and I'd give them the five bucks. And be like, could you get me a sandwich? Because I don't have, I can't drive, you know, I can't go anywhere. And uh, that was like a, a major part of my childhood that was getting to hang out around these like big video cameras and equipment. But more importantly than all of that, people who were like-minded in some way, yeah. which I think was the most valuable thing about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because you talk about that because that's, because of the public access in Tip City, yes, I met Andy, and then Andy's how I met you, because that's where we yes. met on uh, when we were we were working on his movie. Um, some of the funnest time I've ever had was legitimately working in the studio, putting together these shows that I would yep. go to conventions and record, and I would take them back, and I was doing. Um, uh, I would go to my friends' like bands and stuff, and I'd record their their shows. And I'd go, "Hey, man, do you can I, do you mind if I put your band on my show?" And they're like, "Yeah, please." And so I'd have to edit their <laughs> their ba- their episode, you know, and put all that together. Uh, but then when uh, me and <laughs> the worst part about it is me and Andy would start talking, and then I would get sidetracked and start working yeah, with yeah. M one stuff, and my stuff <laughs> would get put along the wayside. <laughs> oh yeah, well, Andy was my was my mentor at NBCC. Yeah. Uh, up until because when he got let go at NBCC, that's when he headed off the Tip City, which was yeah. around the time I was about sixteen or so. So he was the guy who would who would sit there and uh, watch my edit and be like, "That cuts too late. Cut sooner. Come on, you know, do that." And then he'd be the guy who'd loan me movies I shouldn't be watching. He yeah. had he had well he had a sense of awareness that I was a child because like he wouldn't loan me like Cannibal Ferox, you know, or but but he would loan me you know uh, he would loan me like you know the, the return of living dead three and stuff yeah. you know he'd loan me he loaned me stuff that he knew i'd already seen stuff that wasn't that bad but you know stuff like cannibal ferox or even his own movie mutilation man yeah. he'd be like uh when you're when you're 17 i'll hook you up and make sure you get to watch him you know so. I, I i tell the stories at the shop about him trying to con me into like sneaking movies in on me mm-hmm. that i didn't want to watch he's like you gotta oh, yeah. watch this might not, not i'm fine i don't want to watch that one and um, I, I can tell you, the Serbian film was the mm-hmm. last movie he tried to do that to me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to watch it, man. I, I, I get it. I get it's a piece of work. It's a piece of artwork. And it's, yeah, I, I appreciate it for what it is. I don't want to watch it. And uh, so he burnt some movies for me and none of them were marked. And yep. I'm sitting there and I go in, I put one in and I'm like, no, nah, nah, uh-uh. I know what you're doing. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I was like, you're not going to get me to watch it, man. I don't care. I'm sorry. This is the one movie I'm put my foot down. That I'm not watching. Yeah, he he didn't take that. He took that as a challenge. If he oh, refuses to watch something, because uh, I mean, I I was very fortunate. You know, I got to spend a lot of during that time period. Actually, when he was in Tip City, 
I get to spend a lot of time just at Andy's place watching movies. Mm -hmm. And Andy was always the curator. Yeah. You know, you don't go to Andy's place with something you want to show him. Unless you told him about it, he got so amped, he was like, you got to bring it. Otherwise, you showed up and Andy was like, all right, I got these two episodes of this TV show I found. I got these clip, this clip thing I tape traded with somebody. And then we're going to watch, uh, you know, Untold Story 2. And you'd be like, okay. And then you'd, you'd kick back, you'd order pizza, and that's what you did that night. Because yep. Andy always was always curating. You know, he always had a plan for what that night was going to be. And sometimes he would put stuff on just to see if you could stand it. You know, just to see if you could stand it, he would, he would play it through. I remember, um, he was so excited once because when, uh, when I was like 16 or 17, we got HBO and they, uh, they had, uh, unveiled the HBO on demand. It was brand new. Mm -hmm. And, and because it was so new, all HBO on demand had was like old HBO originals and stuff. And Andy was so excited because they had so many weird things like weird, like they had like documentaries about neo-nazis and stuff and andy was like was like can you tape those and i was like I, i'm pretty sure i can plug the cable box into the vcr and record them. He'd be like tape them so i had to tape like all these crazy hbo documentaries from the 90s that were just randomly on on demand so that andy could make us all watch them together on friday nights he'd be like all right we're watching this white supremacy documentary and be like why andy he'd be like ah that's interesting I, I remember setting at the at the studio down in Tip City, and we were watching a documentary about uh, some religious commune in like I want to say like Uganda, but where it was one of them like the, where you'd see the people up there, and everybody would just be praising the people, like pushing them through crowds, like crowd surfing <laughs> the handicapped people forward. And then he goes, "We're sitting there laughing at it," and he goes, "Then I was sitting, there, I was like, man, I was like." that seems like something like ministry would use in there. And then like the next week I came in, he had edited the footage into a ministry. <laughs> I was like, yep, exactly. I, right I remember that. Yeah, for, it was probably an episode of psychotic feed. Yeah. Yeah. And oh yep. we would sit there. Like I said, I'd, I'd go in to work on something and I wouldn't, would be in there. I like, I tell my wife, because at that time I lived like two blocks away from the TV station. I'm like, I'm only going to be there for a couple hours. I'll be home. <laughs> you know, daylight would be breaking. I'd be coming home. And she's like, where you been? I'm like, I, I was hanging out all day. <laughs> um, funny, funny story. I left there one day and it was like, I don't know, 2.30 in the morning. I'm walking down Main Street in Tip City. I have my bag full of VHS tapes. And I'm walking, like I said, only two blocks. I'm about halfway home, sirens go off, like, woo, cop slams in, like, pulls inside <laughs> me, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I I'm, I'm going home, a little late, isn't it? I'm like, I, I'm an adult, so no. Uh, <laughs> where are you coming from? The, the TV station? Mm-hmm, right. What's in the bag? Uh, videotapes? <laughs> Let's see. I'm like, I'm getting harassed by the cops all i had to do was make two blocks and i couldn't even make two blocks in <laughs> no chance nope. no sir no <laughs> tip city was not inducive to people that were up after 10 o'clock at night so that yeah that was one of the reasons andy was so excited to to say goodbye to tip city oh my God. 
he he mentioned that a lot. He mentioned how how weird it was working late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I remember he, he even mentioned a couple of times that he was like he was like sorry I took forever to call I just got to bullshitting with Paul my buddy Paul Paulie. Yeah, and um, oh my god, he I remember the one day I hooked him up because he he was not about anime in any way shape or form. Yeah, and um. I had just gotten a copy of uh, the Apocalypse of Devil Man, which is a <laughs> brutal ass anime, and I was like, I was sitting there, I was like, okay, I was like, I just want to use this little clip in my show, and so I'm editing it together, and I see this head pop up, and he's like, watching, what are you watching? It's like it's Apocalypse of Devil Man. I was like, he's like, that's that's pretty brutal stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I was like. So I was like, here, I was like, when I'm done, I was like, I'll just loan you the tape. I come back the next time. He's like, oh yeah, he's, I definitely had to make a copy of that. <laughs> he's like, I didn't know anime was that like that. I was like, oh, there's worse anime than that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that. that's PG-13 to some of the stuff I had when I was younger. <laughs> oh man. Because I... Andy never really showed anime to me or the buddies, but he always had some, I mean, he had, you know, the market cornered on really messed up Japanese movies. Oh yeah. He, uh, uh, yeah. I remember he loaned me the Guinea pig movies. Yep. And, uh, I'm, I'm, at, I'm legitimately, I, at the time I worked at the hotel. So I'm in the back room in my, in the office with my feet propped up watching a DVD. Oh no, not even a DVD, a VHS tape of it at that time and i'm just sitting there like <laughs> it's like two yeah. in the morning i know nobody's around i'm like i don't feel like i should be watching this movie this is a this <laughs> yet again i watched them once yeah. that's enough good with that he loaned me he loaned me the tapes of the entire series and i remember the best part was they weren't labeled well so I had no clue what order to watch them in other than guinea, the first guinea pig. Yeah. So luckily they, he also didn't warn me all warn me or tell me that it actually eased up quite a bit. They became a lot more uh, lighthearted and a lot more silly later on. Cause I, cause when I, when I watched that first one, when it was over, I was like, Oh my God, I got like five more. Oh, yeah, there the, was it flowers of flesh and blood, or that's that one's pretty hard to get through. And uh, <laughs> but mermaid in the sewer, and I cannot remember the other ones to save my life on the name. No, no, I think there was one that was like flesh and roses or something. Yeah, that's the one that that ever that people thought was a real snuff film. Yeah, really fun. Yeah, well, Charlie Sheen at least. <laughs> yeah, thought it was a real snuff. Store phone. Somebody decides they need to call the store at ten thirty at night because that'll answer so <laughs> hey um as soon as people found out that i lived like like a half mile away from the store at one point um people would call me all the time going well can you come in i'm here already <laughs> i'm like dude i had somebody call at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> and, and luckily i was up because I, I don't like i said i don't go to bed till late and i'm sitting there watching tv and the phone starts ringing and i'm like I'm like hoping it's not like an emergency, like it's my son or something. You know, I'm like, I answer it. And he's like, Hey, are you open? No, I'm not open. (laughs) 
well, hey, man, I'm down by your shop, man. I, I just need to get some, get a couple games. I'm like, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you buying $400 worth of games? Yeah. Because uh, then I might consider putting on outdoor pants. But otherwise, pal, I'm sorry. Uh, I, all I'm going to have to do is put my shoes on, but it's still like, really? Come on, people. <laughs> uh, now, now, I have had that. I've been at home, and it's like 10 o'clock at night, and I had somebody call me up, and he's like, hey, I, I, I need to get this. I'm like, so my, my brain's going, yeah, I'll come down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the money's worth it now. I'll be right there. Yep. Oh man. Um, before we get, I keep, we're getting off topic here. Um, you are just pounding out just tons of content. You're doing stuff on Tubi. You're well, you did, uh, you did it on Amazon first, which was uh boggy Creek. Mm-hmm. You do, which is now on Tubi. You have popcorn fodder, which is now on Tubi. Um, you're just have a huge amount of movies that you're either done or worked on. <laughs> <laughs> that that are now on Tubi. Um, ironically enough, the 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 one movie that I'm in is not on Tubi. Uh, Which one? You mean Bulldog? Bulldog, yeah. It's on Tubi. It's on Tubi. It sure is. Okay, okay. Unless somebody pulled it down, now I got to make sure. I keep a, a no. It's on there. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, <laughs> it, it's bad. Is I I have it because I'm sitting here. I was going through my stuff and I found some of your movies that I I I, I own. Boom. Um. <laughs> And I loaned Bulldog out years ago, and I never got it back. So, bastards! I'm like, I know you have to have a movie that I'm in, but you could return them. <laughs> and that one's on Pluto as well. That's one of the few movies I've done that's on Pluto, Pluto TV. Because I, I remember talking to you one time, and you told me that that movie was big in Germany, if I remember it, right. It, no, it was the United Kingdom. United Kingdom, okay. Yeah, because it played regular television there. It was on uh, the Sony Movie Network, which is just insane. Because, I mean, I shot that movie uh, over two weekends at my mother's house while she was on vacation with her dog. And it was playing at 10 a.m. on, a, like, a actual TV channel in, in England. So, uh, you know, it was it was very bizarre. I had friends in England sending me pictures of like their TV guide thing, which is radio times. They were mm-hmm. sending me like pictures of the radio times and stuff. And I was like, well, that is insane. And I remember how everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people thought I was crazy for making a talking dog movie after making, you know, mostly horror movies. And I was like, because I had made babysitter massacre right before that. Yeah. And then bulldog for Christmas was immediately after it shared. They share almost the exact same cast. Yeah. Um, the only difference is bulldog for Christmas. I had obtained a much more expensive camera. That was the only difference. Uh, it was shot in a very similar way. It had the same cast, same uh, microphone. <laughs> you know, it was it was very quickly. And I and I have been, I've been cranking them out for a while. You know, COVID obviously slowed everything down a lot. Um, so I, I'm I'm trying to get back to that um, to that point. And and I've been diversifying a bit. I've I've been like uh, I have a movie being made right now in South Carolina called Babe Beach. It's a uh, raunchy beach comedy movie and uh they're actually wrapping production this weekend and uh that should be ready to come out in august probably maybe a little bit sooner because they're moving like light speed this guy's very talented i've had 
when I say mixed results, I want to, I want to make very clear how mixed the results have been, but I've, I've dabbled in producing and in executive producing, you know, executive producing is less involved. You approve the script and then it's mostly you're a bankroll and producing, you know, you're on set making things happen with the director. And when I've executive produced, it's usually a film where I have no option to be on set. They're too far away or I'm too busy or, or whatever, but the first two times I did it were very mixed. Um, one of them almost resulted in a lawsuit. And the other one, I thought the movie turned out great, but the market just didn't take to it. It wasn't their fault. They worked their butts off and delivered me a great movie on budget and on, well, not on time. They were a little late, but just, I mean, I expect a little lateness. I was prepared for it. Uh, I give them a deadline in like March when the movie comes out in December. I knew what I was doing. I was like, yeah, they're going to be late. It'll be fine. Um, but no, so, you know, the results varied quite a bit, but then I went into producing, I produced a uh, girl in the crawl space yep. and scarecrow County with a regular writing collaborator, John, John Dalton, great experiences. Those movies got lots of distribution. They're way out there. Um, I'm doing uh, currently a project that's still under wraps, but I'm doing another TV project right now, which should be wrapped up in about a month or two. Um, we have six out of the eight episodes ready to rock. And that one features some first time directors. Um, I directed one episode and then we had six other directors who, who came in and, and did a lot of work. Um, I also produced with Dan Wilder, one of my regular writing contributors, who is the co uh, showrunner on the TV show I was talking about. He uh, directed what will someday be seen uh, now that we can actually shoot the second one. He shot the third babysitter massacre movie. Uh, he was the director of part three, which shot before part two, because we didn't, we didn't predict the global pandemic thing. We just didn't see it coming. So <laughs> it's, it's so not, we'll, it's not a, you. it's not a, a space balls three, the search for space balls two movie. <laughs> no, 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 not this time. Thank Baby Center Massacre three, the search for Massacre two. <laughs> I mean, it starts to feel that way though. Uh <laughs> So, but, but so I, yeah, I've been, I've been collaborating with a lot of uh, directors and especially first time directors, you know, just trying to get them to have an excuse to make their first movie. Cause I never had an excuse to make my first movie. I had to completely just say, well, this is what I'm doing now. And people would be like, why? Because like, it's what I'm doing. I don't know. Like I got to do this. Cause I made my first real, real deal banana peel feature film. Um, like right when I was 18. Like a few months into being 18, I made Marty Jenkins and the Vampire Bitches was my mm -hmm. first feature that was just me directing. And uh, and it wasn't, you know, 65 minutes. It was 90 minutes, you know, or 80 minutes or whatever you want to. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, so I, it's been an interesting experience. Uh, but the guys down in South Carolina have done an amazing job on this Bay Beach movie. And I'm really looking forward to releasing that and hopefully working with them again. I wish I had deeper pockets. I would, <laughs> I would hire people a lot more. Um, but you know, uh, unlike all other businesses, money is an issue in my business. You know, it's not enough. <laughs> it's just my cross to bear. But yes, yeah, <laughs> so it's it's been cool. And then I've got, um, I just, uh, I actually literally today just delivered a western I shot last year to the distributor. Uh, this brand new Western. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to name it yet or announce the name yet. So I'm going to keep that under wraps for now, but it'll be coming out by the end of this year or the start of next year. It's like in the distributor's hand. So I wouldn't be surprised if in two, two months or so, we'll see a trailer and a poster and all that stuff. That's the second Western I've done. Yeah. So uh, da, 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 uh, of course it's the one on the bottom right there. We got <laughs> Boom. Calamity Jane's revenge with one Aaron 
R. Ryan. Yep. And that was another one. People thought I was insane for making a Western, and it was a very successful film. Extremely yeah. successful. I, I remember I, I knew you were kicking ass when I walked in Walmart and uh, <laughs> uh, Family Video, and they were both on a shelf. And uh, I was like, look, I know that guy. I know that girl. I know that guy. <laughs> No, we, we had a lot of luck and, and family video was always very good to, uh, to the Indies. They yeah. were very good to us. We, I, I was part of the, uh, I was a part of the Hollywood video management team, whatever, you call it. <laughs> uh, manglement team. Uh, and they, they would get independent movies, but I, I know this is going to sound kind of horrible. I don't, I don't want this to come off as bad. Uh, they tend to be ethnically related. Yeah, urban. Urban. Is, is yeah, the, that's um, the general term is urban. Yeah. Um, so you get the the urban indie movies with the low, lower budgets and stuff, or you get the uh, just horrible knockoffs that weren't even yeah. like asylum level knockoffs. Like I remember the one was like Fast Cars, and it was like this yeah. horrible uh, knockoff of of uh, you know Fast and the Furious, and you're just like wow. But yeah, they wouldn't horror movies. They would carry somewhat, and that's probably the worst movie I've ever seen. Was a super low budget horror movie called Meet the Fanglies. Did you ever? Wow, hear that? I've not even heard of that one. We got it, and I had so many people return it and complain. <laughs> and you'd be watching this movie, and there was the monster in a cage. Literally, it's like a cage that you put your dog in, but they were like covered it up so you couldn't see the person inside. Um, the, the camera would go in and out of focus constantly because there were so many bugs because they had their big lights and they're filming like in Texas in the summer. So all you see is like moths and, and mosquitoes through the entire thing. And it was so bad. And the worst part about it is I think I still have a copy of it. Because if you do, uh, you're going to need to loan that. To I me. will, I will loan it to you if I find it. I, I the only problem is I think it's VHS. So I, oh, I got a player. Yeah. I don't know, messing around. I got a player. The worst film I ever rented from, I believe it was from Blockbuster. It might have been from Hollywood Video. Where I live, they were actually almost next door to each other. They were literally uh, two shopping plazas on the same road. They weren't even separated by a street. They sh- like you could just drive across the parking lot and go to Blockbuster. Drive and the and the Hollywood Video used to be a movie gallery, so they had a lot of old stuff that was yeah. really cool. Like that's how I first saw like Madman and Evil Ed and stuff like that. But the worst film I ever rented uh, was a movie called and you this one's become infamous. It's called Axum. Do you remember Axum? It's A X E apostrophe M. I, I believe that's how they spelled it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because it's like Axe, but it's Axum. And it was kind of an urban movie. I mean, like the cast was mostly black, but the problem was that the movie was just really, it was horribly padded out. That was the first thing. <laughs> the opening credits showed a guy breakdancing and were really, really long, but then there's no, that guy is not in the movie and the breakdancing is not featured in the movie, except in that opening, which was really odd. Then well, as the movie starts, they, it's clear they've cast a couple people who are really, really funny, mm-hmm. but they just let them go. So there were many scenes that are just one. It was shot on film. You could tell it was shot on film. Uh, there would be one scene that was just going. It was just a wide shot. And this guy's just 
you know, work in the crowd that are the other actors trying to make them laugh and stuff. And it, it, it didn't work because you could barely understand what he's saying because the sound isn't great. But then on top of that, all the scenes were shot that way, which is how you save money shooting on celluloid film, which is insanely expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hundreds of dollars for maybe two minutes of film. And, but then when the killing starts happening, which was not great, whenever the killing starts happening, it starts cutting a lot because they have to try and hide all the crappy special effects. You know, they're trying to hide cuts and stuff. But there's one moment in that movie that made me realize, wow, these people did not care. Like they stopped caring was at one point when somebody's getting axed, the, one of the goofy characters, I, I'm not joking. He goes like, he it cuts to a close up of his face and he's like, ah, and he literally, you can see his hands behind his head. And he was going like this to his glasses. He was making his glasses rock up and up and down while he screamed. But like, but the shot wasn't close enough that you couldn't see that he was doing that. <sighs> and I want to point out, this, le- this movie made such an impression on me. I only saw it once when I was a teenager, and I still remember some very specific things about it. Well, that's we talk about that. There, there's a horror movie, and for the life, can't remember anything about it. Can't remember the name. Can't remember the, the killer or anything. But there's literally a scene where the guy's supposed to get, like, axed in the chest and blood's supposed to spew out. And it's obviously somebody off screen tossing a bucket of blood. There's no pumps. There's no, there's literally all of a sudden just splash. Yeah. And it's like, that's from over there. That's not from <laughs> that has stuck with me. And I want to say it was like on HBO or Cinemax late night. And um, I watched, I, I don't know how many times, I don't think I've ever watched the entire movie. Like I said, it was one of the ones where, you know, because back in the day, you didn't have, you just, whoa, hey, it's on. So you watch what you could on HBO. And and I never, never worried about recording it because it never was that good. Yeah, yeah. But that that scene with the guys getting at and in the blood, obviously coming from off, off screen. Yeah. Stuck with me forever. Some, some of the best uh, horror movie moments, uh, B-horror movie moments ever, are when it's clear the effect is just cup of blood. <laughs> like, no pump, no sprayer, just cup of blood. Oh, I right. love a good cup of blood. One of my favorite cup of blood moments is at the beginning of Sleepaway Camp 2, when she cuts the tongue out. Watch when she cuts, because like right when the tongue's cut, literally just cup of blood hits the girl's face. Like, hits her mouth. And don't give me it doesn't look bad it actually looks pretty convincing um it looks kind of like something burst or something and it just went everywhere but if you watch it again i've watched that movie a lot you watch it again again you start to you you start to not be able to unsee that it's just a cup of blood being thrown right on (laughs) we've been having this this discussion at the shop lately um now that movies are getting into like you know blu-ray 2k now 4k and and all these and then these movies were never meant to be that crystal clear. And now we're watching. <laughs> I, uh, I, I joke around. I was like, I just watched, because uh, it was on Paramount Network. I just watched uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. Because oh, I, yeah. was, I, was, I was doing stuff around the house and I turned it on. And I'm like looking at the models and the models are beautiful. Everything is crystal clear. And then there's the scene of the shuttle flying in with Kirk and uh, Scotty in it. And it's obviously two little cutouts inside the model. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't unsee that. Then there's the, the and well, I'm like, 
Um, you know, what's funny about those problems, though, is we think like it was never meant to be seen that clear, except it was actually originally only meant to be seen on a 50 foot screen. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that's entirely true. I feel like if you were in the second row, you were like, that's paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cardboard. What? I, I, I legitimately recently, I have a bunch of the Godzilla movies on Blu-ray and I can't watch the Blu-ray. So I got back to DVDs because then I can't see the cords and the wires hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I got to go back a little bit on my technology so I can get a better. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> oh man. Um, so you're, you've been both movies and now TV series. Yes. What is 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 one easier or is one? I mean, overall, movies are easier than TV series. I I love what we did with Boggy Creek, the series. I think we. I, I mean, not only did I get to make a, a TV series and use a really interesting concept. Um, but I got to work with Brink Stevens. I got to Fred Olin Ray was my boss and he mm -hmm. hired me to make that show. You know, he called me up and was like, I want you to do the show, which is insane because he was one of my childhood heroes. And so, I mean, it was a wild experience, but it damn near killed me because the way the show, it was only six episodes, but the way the show was, it was like an, it was like X-Files. Mm -hmm. So it's not an arc series. It's a, it's a, every episode kind of stands on its own series. But what happens is that means that you've got a massive cast and it gets and the bigger the cast gets, the harder it gets to economize your shoot schedule. So what you would end up with was, you know, a lot of very challenging schedules. And on top of that, we had the worst weather problems when we were making that show because it kept snowing into the end of April and we would have a scene shot like uh, we would shoot one scene and then we had to wait for another because of the, the complication with all the actors. We'd have to wait to shoot the scene with this one day player until they were with us. And then we would get to the location and it would be pouring snow nonstop. And it'd be like the, the, the scenes we shot that take place before this and after this have zero snow. So we, we keep losing days. We would keep having to say like, okay, well we wouldn't lose whole days. It would be like, but we would literally show up and be like, it's snowing so hard. We can only shoot the stuff inside. And then we just have to wrap for the day because we can't fake this. And that got to the point where I was so stressed out. I was feeling sick all the time. I was really having a hard time. And we had other things too. Like we had a bar booked for the, for the series and they went out of business before we filmed. And then all of a sudden we had no location and it was a key location. So I had to go, I was literally like calling around while we're like dying to get the film done or the show done. So overall, I mean, movies are easier. Um, I would love to do, and I intend to at some point, to do a, uh, a TV series that is like an arc, you know, like eight episodes, but it's basically one story. So it's like a really long movie. Yeah. I would love to do one of those, and I'm sure I will eventually. The TV series that, I'm, uh, that we're developed, well, that we're nearly done with now is an anthology. I'll give you that much. It's, it's an anthology series, but with a kind of a different twist. And... Um, and it was been really, really fun. I actually, I ended up being the slacker of the show. I just shot my episode like two or three weeks ago. Um, I just, you know, everybody else was doing such a good job. I was like, I'll just hang back. You guys, you guys got this. But uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, we're expanding into television a lot more. Boggy Creek, obviously that was a show for hire. So I have no, nothing to do with the distribution. I have nothing to do with, you know, that that's all being handled by Fred and by the, by his reps. But 
like a popcorn fodder. I own that. That's just my show. Um, I financed it. Uh, it's mine. And I had no idea Tubi was going to take it. It was available to Tubi for almost two years before they chose to, to pick it up. They picked up tons and tons and tons of films from me, but not the series. And then one day I got a notification that they had selected popcorn fodder. And I literally, my first thought was they're going to decline. Like they're going to select it and then realize what it is and decline. And then they didn't. And then it was delivered. And then I was like, uh, it could still maybe be declined. And then a month and a half later, it was live on the service. And I was like, well, I guess that's that. And it's not doing in like crazy business, but we're, but it's doing well. Um, when I did Cinema Wasteland recently, I got stopped by somebody who it was their first Wasteland. And because I Wasteland, I get stopped by everybody because I know I've been going, I've been doing that show since I was 15 years old. Um, but like I got stopped by somebody because they literally went, you host popcorn fodder. <laughs> and I was like, I do. And he was like, I watched it on Tubi. I really like it. And I was like, thank you. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm very thankful for that. So that was startling because there is that moment where it's like, when I do like a breakdown of what the earnings are that we get from like Tubi or whatever, there is that moment where you're like, ah, oh, we didn't earn that much money. But then if you divide it by the CPM and all the blah, 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 you realize like, oh wait, like, like 25,000 viewers at least, you know, like that month, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a lot to make a crazy good living. I mean, it's, it's enough to eke it by yeah. if you, if you play your cards, right. And that's my, my number one superpower is I'm very good at playing the cards, right. I guess, but so that's been a wild experience. And it's also been kind of my first toe in the water of an, in, of making an independent TV show. Mm-hmm. I'm not wholly convinced yet that they'll, because so far the TV shows I've done have not been quite as profitable as some of the, the movies. Mm-hmm. So this next TV show, it's a horror anthology show. I'm hoping people will really dig it and connect with it. I'm hoping Tubi will pick it up right away. I, I think they will. We have a pretty good relationship. But there's no guarantees until it's in front of them for them to take it or not. Mm-hmm. So, because I'm not, I'm not a big enough player. I can like call up the Tubi people and pitch them something before it's done. No, I'm I'm just big enough that I can show them what I have. That's it. So, so, but if that if they take that and it's and it does better than most movies, then I would not be surprised if we, you know, ease off of the heavy uh, season or movie production and do a TV series. Uh, occasionally as well if the if it's i mean because the profitability could be really high if it gets popular enough because it's more more hours of content means more uh advertising viewing viewership which means more pay and yada 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 that's why i was excited when they picked up popcorn fodder i was like oh my god that's 16 hours of content they just bought from me i great (laughs) i hope i hope people watch it all day long i hope they they stop sleeping and peel their eyelids off so that they can keep watching popcorn fodder um i went to horror hound recently and uh i'm sitting there me and my wife sit down at the table and these people come up to me and they're just staring at me and i'm like can i help you and they're like are you are you on youtube i was like (laughs) yeah they're like ah thought so i think my son watches your show i'm like tell your son thanks (laughs) Um, then, uh, was walking through the hallway and some random person, uh, I'm literally walking with a Shogun warrior, uh, a bag with some t-shirts in it. 
as if DV, as a Blu-rays walking back to meet with my wife. And this guy walks by and slaps me on the shoulder and he goes, love the show, Paul. And I'm like thinking of somebody I know. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's just yeah. some random person. I'm like, thank, thank you. <laughs> I was like, oh, I yeah. wanted to go, which show I do three of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you want to know, and how did you find it? And who are you? And <laughs> yeah. And, and send me money because I yeah. make no money off of that. <laughs> Because um, I wasn't smart enough to start making the TV show with uh, um, uh, public domain movies or anything like that. I had to go, you know what I want to make? I want to make a show about Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> and there's episodes that I, and then all of a sudden YouTube goes, mm, no, you're not making any money off of this. So I was like, all right, yeah. whatever. I'm having Monetization fun is tough. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, what's funny is when popcorn fodder hit Tubi, people were like, oh my God. And they were like, I'm going to watch it tonight. And and they were like, it's so cool that it's like free to watch with ads. And, I, and all I could think was like, it's been on YouTube for two years. <laughs> Completely free. And some of them don't have ads because yeah. because uh, they'll claim it's not public domain even when it is. And then it becomes a whole kerfuffle. And then it's not even worth the fight. Uh, been there plenty of times. And actually, um, I was mentioning briefly uh, last time we interacted when I was doing a live stream. Yeah. Uh, we, we are developing a... <laughs> a kids cartoon uh, public domain cartoon show which is basically like kids popcorn fodder it's going to be uh it's going to uh, I'll, I'll mention it i own it i can announce it all i want uh we're, we're pretty much in at this point on doing it it's called uncle henny's cartoon party <laughs> and i'm going to host it from a green screen with a uh with a, li- a cartoon living room so i'll just be inside the cartoon and it'll just you know hey kids like you know, and the, the whole joke is like, so you've been dropped off at your uncle Henny's to watch some cartoons. Well, your uncle doesn't have a ton of money, but these, so these are kind of old, but they're still good. You'll enjoy them. <laughs> so we're, we're developing that right now, picking the cartoons, the right public domain cartoons. And, you know, it, the funnest part is it'll be like, here's a, a boatload of public domain cartoons. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And then I'm like picking through that. And I'm like, man, I have to sit and watch all of these to make sure they're not racist. Like I do. I seriously do. And I'm not even trying to be funny. Yeah. No, I, I do. Cause I don't want them to be, uh, you know, especially not the, 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 cause the rare ones were really racist, you know? Oh, yeah. I really don't want those, you know, like if I have to, if I have to watch it and go, was that good clean fun? Let's just skip it. Let's no. just go and get another one. <laughs> I, I did the same thing. Uh, I, I made the mistake of showing, uh, two episodes of rickety rocket and uh i'm sitting there because i had people asking for it and i was like okay so i went and found it i put a couple episodes up and to be honest it was one of the ones that that i was really busy at that time and i didn't (laughs) sit down and watch the episodes yeah because i remember them as kids and i don't i don't remember and then i went back and went oh oh." by the time the first episode had had I'd already edited and put all the other one into the second episode with that in there. And I looked at people and I'm like, I am sorry. This is, I'm like, literally like when the movie, when the show drops, I pop in on the, uh, on the, the chat on the, on YouTube. And I'm like, you know, I'll talk to people as, the, as, and they'll ask me what, you know, what's coming up or, you know, if I yeah. can find this cartoon or whatever. And the whole entire time I was doing Joel Schumacher, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, I, 
I, I thought about going back and re-editing those episodes to take that out, but at this point, they've seen them, and everybody's like, "I'm not airing it again." I was like, "If you yeah. want to see Rickety Rocket, it's out there. You can find it. I'm not putting it on my show." So, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's and that's my thing too. Is I'm just like, so I'm gonna, I have to. That's the big moment is I have to, me and probably my producing partner, uh, will sit down with he'll probably have half of them and I'll have half of them and we'll just watch them. And if any of them are uh too much, then we just dip, we just dump that one. And I've got more, I've got, I've got a few hundred, um, uh, you know, public domain cartoons available because luckily during the era that most of these public domain cartoons have come to be, they were almost all um, five minutes or eight minutes long. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost no in between almost. It's like, it's either five minutes, 30 seconds or eight minutes and 10 seconds. Like there's no in between. And that's really handy though. Cause that means a half an hour show, which really means like a 25 minute show or whatever. I just need three episodes, three cartoons. Yep. And then my little wraparounds and we're going to do an eight episode season. We're going to release it. If it does, any business at all we'll just go do another one because it's not a massive amount of work so I, um i just i just did an interview uh tuesday with uh jim childs who is uh uh does is a horror host out of uh new out of las vegas and he yes. said he was watching my show he it, it was funny because i was interviewing him but he was interviewing me at the same time asking me these questions and he's like man he goes how do you get those kind of numbers on your show i'd love to get those numbers i was like well, I don't worry about making money, so I don't worry about what I air. So, yeah. Um, but he, you know, he, he's talking to me about this, and I said, "Yeah, I said I did a, um, you know, the big show for my my anniversary, my one year. I did a fifty second. I did Saturday all day, and then I found out that it was <laughs> blocked in some countries, so I had to. Those people wanted to see it, so I had to go edit the parts out that, which is basically the beginning and the end." Uh, and then put my Saturday morning serials back up and put it as an, a regular episode so people could watch it. Um, but we did like a Saturday morning back in the eighties. So at the, at, at seven o'clock it started and it ran the old sixties cartoons. So it was uh, Sinbad, uh, junior deputy, the dog. And then I did eighties and nineties cartoons. And then I did big time wrestling out of Detroit. And then I did master of the flying. Oh, nice. And so I did a, Oh, like, like you would be in, in 1980s, sitting at home, watching cartoons, and that's what, what I, that's how I live. Yeah. And uh, Master I think of the Flying Guillotine broke my heart because I, I wanted to show it on season two of Popcorn Fodder, but I, um, I think I'll get sued. Because like, here's, the, here's the tricky thing about public domain. There's no, if you actually, if you actually want to know if something is public domain, you got to hire a lawyer to go and do the research at the library of Congress for you mm -hmm. because even the web search will not pull up everything that's there. Yeah. And then they'll come to you and say, there's no evidence that anyone has the copyright. So I guess we'll see if anyone sues you. That is literally what the next step is. It's like, now you'll see if anybody will sue you. And I can tell you, I won't name names, but there are companies, mainstream, big companies, companies with, uh, you know, like three letter names, uh, that they don't own some of these classic movies, but they claim they do. 
they do. And, and, and the best, and the advice I've gotten from people who know is they, you can't afford to fight them. So just don't do it. I mean, just don't bother Mm because they'll come after you. And uh, that happens a lot, especially because like certain, um, you know, big studios that have been around for a long time, they'll say they'll own the uh, negative, mm-hmm. but they don't own the, the rights to the screenplay. They don't own the rights to the movie itself. They just own the rights to the negative. They have the yeah. negative. They're the only ones who can scan it and release it and, you know, yada, yada. But they'll pretend like, oh, no, we own it. We definitely own it. What I'm saying is MGM does this is what I'm saying. MGM <laughs> does this a lot. Because I, a man of uh, the world, wanted to remake I Bury the Living. Uh, It's the only movie, B movie, I I ever went, you know, I really want to remake this. And I was like, well, the producer's dead, the writer's dead, the director's dead. And all of them have been gone for, some of them for multiple decades. Mm -hmm. So I... I didn't hire a lawyer because I didn't have the kind of money to look into this, but I got an entertainment paralegal who was willing to do it because he was a fan. Mm-hmm. And I had him go and dig and he dug around and said, well, the copyright registration is basically non-existent. Like there's no copyright registration except a guy who tried to copyright it in the eighties, but he was notorious for trying to claim copyright to a ton of public domain movies in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, he tried to do that like seven or eight movies. I mean like little shop of horrors and I bury the living, a bunch of stuff like that. And, uh, but none of those are, are legitimate. He was like, but everything I look at all signs point to MGM. So I'm just going to give him a call. So he gave MGM a call and MGM sure enough. They're like, Oh yeah, we own it. And he was like, what? Like, you do? And they were like, yeah. He was like, so you don't just own the film. You own the, the story rights and the IP, everything. Like, yes, yes, we do. And he was like, okay, well, because my client is interested in remaking it. What would, what would we need to do? And they, they were literally like, we'd want $50,000 in script approval. So that was the end of that because I talked to some people who knew and they were like, if they take you to court, it's just going to cost you so much money. It's not going to be worth it. Yeah. So uh, I showed I bury the living on popcorn fodder because fuck them. I mean, like that's part of it, but, but also because I mean, they don't, they're not the cop on the beat for people, you know, showing the movie, but they're a cop on the beat, you know, about the intellectual property. stuff, which they can't prove they own. Because he asked for proof and they said that they would have to look into it, which means they don't have anything. So, because, you know, because the movie was made in the freaking early 60s and it's notoriously public domain. Yeah. But so my point is that, like, it gets challenging to figure out what movies are public domain when you can't use a lawyer. Well, you can, but, you know, just like you can, I can own a a Tesla, but I don't because I don't have the money. (laughs) It's the same thing with an entertainment lawyer. So, with popcorn fodder, we went with films that are well known for being public domain or literally one of the ways I researched it was I, I would pick a movie and be like, Oh, I kind of want to do that one. And then I would look at the marketplace. And if it was, if it was literally on like 25 DVD sets, I was like, yeah, nobody's suing nobody. No, <laughs> like that's, that's what it comes down to. Ain't nobody suing nobody. <laughs> so then we, uh, we go over because like there are services that will sell you prints of public will sell you digital prints of public domain movies. Yeah. And they're technically broadcast broadcast cleared. You know, they're they're their transfers, quote unquote. You except that there's no way for you to ever prove 
that they transferred it themselves or anything. But I remember when I was looking into buying a big fat catalog of these movies, which would have cost me a lot of money, at least a couple hundred dollars a film. And I would have to buy a minimum of six films. And I said, okay, but if I release these and somebody sues me or files a cease and desist or proves that they have the copyright, do I get a refund? Because are you guaranteeing that the belief that this is public domain? And he was like, no, no. And I was like, then what good are you? You're literally no good. You are as useful as a cock ring at Lilith Fair. Get out of my face. Like ridiculous. But I remember being so mad because I was like that. You should have to guarantee that if you're selling things as public yeah. domain for, for distribution, like they're saying, this is the version you're allowed to sell. And it's like, okay. So if it turns out you're wrong, I get my money back. And they're like, no, no, I'll just, I'll just turn it into vapor. No, what, what, <laughs> what money? That's what's going on. <laughs> it's all Bitcoin now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the the best thing was was uh, I had talked to Matt Brassfield about yeah. doing being a horror host. I, I I've had this character kicking around in my head for a few years, and um, then I started looking into horror hosts. And there's just so many really good ones out there that I'm like, yeah. I will never be that good. It's literally. You know, then I was like, man, I'm just a dude in the basement. I'm not going to be. And then I talked to some of them. Some of them were just dudes in the basement. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. and Sally's the zombie. It's a girl in the basement. Uh, and and Matt looked at me and gave me the best piece of advice. He goes, just make the episode. He goes, the only thing you can do is tell you to take it down because they can get the guy give you a warning. Yeah. Take it down. He goes, it's best to ask for uh, forgiveness than ask for permission. And I was like, yeah. all right. So. So literally, I've done 54 episodes, 53 episodes, 54 is edited and ready to drop on Saturday. And I do get the, the you know, hey, this is copyrighted. Any monetization will go to the, I'm like, All right, whatever. Yeah. Um, out of those shows, four times has it been told to take it down, which they just didn't, they, just, they don't take it down. They just don't even let you put it up. Um, and one was in two of them were in one episode and I can tell you one was bionic six NBC was like, no, nope, you can't air that. I'm like, literally I went and found it on YouTube. <laughs> Somebody is already airing it on there. Uh, same way with, um, I, I ran the risk because I found a copy of it on YouTube and I'm like, it's there. I'm going to risk it. I doubt it's going to get past it. So I did Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I know that's Disney. And I was like, whatever. I found a copy on YouTube. Of course that got shut down. Um, the other one was, uh, um, filmations, uh, flash Gordon. And, uh, I believe, uh, Sunbow's um, um, defenders of the earth. Mm -hmm. So they both have flash Gordon in them. And, uh, King features was like, Nope, but I show all this other King's feature stuff. And yeah. they don't care. And I'm like, why do you care about these that you don't do nothing with? But I'm over here. <laughs> yeah. No. And you know, what's funny is the biggest copyright, uh, not strikes, but the biggest copyright stuff that I've dealt with, with popcorn fodder is no joke is bands music where yeah. they sampled the public domain movie. <laughs> and it tries to say I'm using their song. And after reply back, you'd be like, no. <laughs> like, because it was really bad with the terror and Messiah of Evil. Those, yeah. I guess, both got really heavily sampled um, in music. So I had to, yeah, I had to reply back and be like, this is not that song. 
This is a clip. From, you took this clip and put, and it, in your put it in your song. Yeah. Well, um, the one I think is funny is um, I can air Alvin and the Chipmunks, the 80s version of the cartoon. No problem. I can't use the intro and the outro music. Yep. So trim that off. I can play it all I want. I put that and then somebody's like, like, all right, whatever. And it's it's just the fact that they 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 claim they have the copyright to the music. And it's somebody like Walnut Music or something like that. Yep. So I'm like, you know what? Whatever. And I keep looking at this, and a lot of them are um foreign companies that that mm-hmm. claim they have the rights to this stuff. And I'm like, okay. Um, my, my sci-fi show I do, the only time I get in trouble is when I do, uh, the commercial, the, uh, trailers for movies. I just put trailers for movies in the middle. Yeah. It's fun. Like I said, it's funny because the only thing I get hit for on my sat on my sci-fi Friday show is, uh, I put movie trailers in there between the episodes of the shows. No one cares about any of those shows. No one has gave me a copyright. I'm like, I like this show. Why isn't anybody doing anything with it? And <laughs> well, and, and you know, it's funny. I, I got copyright uh, knocked for showing trailers on uh, a live stream once, and we were commenting over them and everything. I mean, it was we weren't just playing them, mm-hmm. but it was funny because when they were busting us, I was like, you know, there was a time in the until about the late '80s or early '90s where trailers were entirely public domain. Yeah, because why not? Like, like you're not supposed to be mad when someone plays a trailer. The trailer is an advertisement of the movie. You should want the trailer played everywhere, all the time, forever. Can't you get? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I had that whole discussion when back in the day when when uh, uh, I was doing a show over in Tip City. Um, I would put. We would have to double check, and he's like. I can go ahead and try. They can only just, I'm like, it's public access. So they kind of leave us alone. Yeah. So, you know, cause they didn't also didn't care about whatever music you wanted to play either. So you put music videos in there and yeah, they didn't care, but now you get just the slightest minute little bit of music and people are like, no, take it down. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got one. Um, I was, uh, interviewing um uh bob hinton ghastly ghoul right and he was play- had some music playing in the background i couldn't even hear it <laughs> and youtube was like um it-, it popped up that that music appeared in this in the in the episode and i'm like what when- <laughs> what did i <laughs> so i went back and i watched the episode i turned the volume up real loud i'm like oh wow that's i guess there's music there <laughs> <laughs> So the worst part about it is my son was over there one day and I'm sitting there, he was, he wasn't feeling good. So I didn't want to run him out. Like I said, but he kept unhooking his, his ear, his ear, but he was listening to clutch and I'm like, Oh, we're going to get busted because there's gonna be clutch playing in the background. Nothing. <laughs> Not one issue with it playing in the background somewhere. I'm like, man, that would be nice if that was just how things. <laughs> the YouTube works in mysterious ways. It doesn't it uh it's it's a it's a weird thing my whole show started out essentially as a glorified commercial for my shop sure (laughs) 
because I had paid for commercials and stuff and I'd never seen any return on any of the commercials I had done for radio ads I'd done for mag, you know, for this, that, um, I started doing the, the show and then I had people coming into the shop buying stuff and then talking to me about the show. And I'm like, Hey, it worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. But, um, I gotta get back to questions here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so I've asked horror hosts this and money is no object. What actor or actress, anybody, are you hiring to be in one of your movies? That's a, that's a hard one. Um, if money was no object, I don't even know how to think in those terms though. That's the hardest part. Uh, you know, I've always wanted to, I would love to work with Steve Buscemi. I, I just think he'd be fascinating. Um, I'd love to work with Nicolas Cage. That's not nearly as unlikely as some of the other, other names, but like, yeah, I'd love to work with Nicolas Cage. Cause I, I've, I've, you know, heard about how much he brings, uh, to everything he does. Um, I'm not sure if I have anybody else in mind, to be honest, like it, that's, that's a hard one for me, you know, cause <laughs> Uh, uh, money is always an object, the largest object in, in basically everything you do, you know, cause it's like uh, on one hand, you know, you're a, you're an independent filmmaker, but on the other hand, you know, you're a, you're a business person and you're trying to pay your bills. So, uh, and most of the movies I do, you know, I mean, I've done some movies for hire. I've done some crowdfunding and stuff, but also, I mean, I've financed out of my own pocket, a lot of my films. So yeah, needless to say, you're very, um, financially conservative when it's entirely your money well it's it's kind of funny um going to conventions and talking to some people that come in and and uh i got some of these guys i got a couple guys in pickle that are putting together movies and stuff and you know i'm like man i was like so you you how you how you doing this how you now and i'm like they're just dumping money into this stuff and they have never made a penny back and i'm like i had one guy and he sold his truck to finance a movie and i'm like yeah i don't know if it's ever been finished that's what i was about to ask that was my next question was, was is like, it done yeah i was like <laughs> i'm I, I that's one thing that always scares me um i've i've worked i've written scripts uh i have a tv show i wrote I have movies I've written. Uh, I've tried to shoot a couple things and stuff. And then when I start worrying about time and money, because for me, it's the same thing, yeah. um, you know, because um, anytime I take time from the shop, I'm losing money. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. And so to shoot a, a, um, a movie, I'd have to film Thursdays or, or Sundays, uh, justify getting everything. And to know that I would at least break even, you know, even if I just lost no money, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be great for me. But, you know, I'm just, like I said, I just watch people dump just tons of money in for nothing. Yeah. And, you know, I watched a guy spend thousands of dollars on a camera that became a glorified, you know, toy that he just, you know, shot stuff for YouTube, you know, for, you know, uh, Facebook and stuff like that. I'm like, 
man, that's, that's a lot of money you got to blow for, for this or that. I mean, literally I've bought a camera. I got the mic. I got a really good mic and I did the mic in trade. So I don't have hardly anything. In it. <laughs> it was a, it was a brand new Yeti microphone. Um, and I got it in for some comic books and trade. Um, the camera that I'm running here, um, I had a fan of the show just randomly show up at the shop and handed me 200 bucks. He's like, keep the show going. I'm like, okay. So I bought a new camera <laughs> and, uh, and I, well, I bought two cameras. I bought a camera I could take with me. And then I got the camera that's hooked up to the computer. <laughs> But even that's like, man, that's still money I could spend on something else. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the funny thing is the 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 massive balancing act on my end is because the day job is is movie production. Uh, I still have that issue, though, where you stop and go, yeah, but every day away from the office running the sales and, and distribution side of things it puts me behind and, and makes me worry about money, but it's like, yes. But then if I don't ever leave and make more content, that's bad too. <laughs> it gets really challenging to make the decision of like, when do I go away for, you know, two weeks to film a movie or whatever. And when do I, you know, what do I, how do I, how do I fit it all together? And the longer I do this, the more there is for me to do every day here in the, in my office. And that definitely makes things challenging. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I, my wife's gotten mad at me because I will totally up until really, what is your, what are you wrong with you? Uh, up until relatively recently, I always justified doing conventions with vacation so that I could make money. So I, like I said, I've always had to justify spending money, making money to coincide so I can, I can do things and, and, <laughs> Now I'm to the point, though, that the shop's doing well enough that I've been able to actually go on vacation and yeah. not have it to coincide with anything. Like I went to New Orleans and uh, my, I was like, I wanted to go to the store so I could buy something to take it back home so I could sell it <laughs> and make money so I could justify being there. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's, it's weird not having to do that now, but I, my, my money-making brain is still like, no, you, you need to, you need to make some money, man. <laughs> yep. No, I totally get that. And um, with everything that you've done, you've done a Western, you've done more Westerns, you've done comedies, you've done, um, I guess, slice of life stuff. Mm -hmm. And what's one genre you haven't done that you really like to do? I really want to do science fiction. Um, I haven't touched sci-fi, not as a director, not as a producer. So I would like to, because like I, I produced a fantasy movie uh, called The Sorcerer Beast, uh, stars Jeffrey Combs and a couple other people. And I was the producer on that. That's on Tubi. You can check that out. It's pretty good. Turned out pretty nice. Uh, Corey Feldman, uh, he did a voice on it. Um, I was not, I was a producer for hire on it, but I was like, I was the boss on that movie, which was wild. I was the, I was the guy who, who kicked the director into shape on that movie. Um, but like, but I've never, I wasn't directing, you know, I, so I, I wouldn't mind directing a science fiction thing, but I need the right thing. 
because as making a science fiction movie would have to be to some extent what's the word you know to some extent it would have to be just because i want to because the you know when i'm investing my own money i I try to invest it in a safe uh bet and sci-fi i don't feel is a safe bet right now um but that could change see i i remember you were working on one years ago with aaron that yeah that i still have that script yeah (laughs) um um, i i i'm not gonna lie i thought about doing a sci-fi type movie but it's only because i had just watched stalker for like because i finally got the the criterion blu-ray and i was like i can definitely make a (laughs) sci-fi movie that's oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah for sure yeah (laughs) i was like there's there's nothing in there that's sci-fi ish but it's a sci-fi movie (laughs) Literally three guys walking through the remnants of uh, a factory. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, so fi- sci-fi you produced, would you direct a fantasy movie? Uh, maybe I'm, I've never been a big fan of fantasy movies personally. Um, that's just a, but that's a taste thing for me. That's not like I, just because I did not enjoy Lord of the Rings. I don't think it's a bad movie. You know, it's just not for me. It doesn't click with me. So if I was going to make a fantasy movie, it would probably be really depressing and really, like, really dramatic. Um, it would probably, like, be about how depressing it is to be a swordsman or something. I don't know. I, like, it would be, it, it would, it would, it would have, that would be my mark on it would be, because my favorite, you know, when, when I'm writing the movies, they're, they're all about somebody who's, like, really depressed. So... <laughs> It's kind of the the common thread. So uh, maybe like a really, really depressing fantasy movie. I I could see that being a a lot of fun. (laughs) Well, it's it's funny because I was talking, I did an interview with uh, um, John Dalton a while back and we talked about him and you uh, preparing Scarecrow Country and talking about living out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's it's funny because how you come up with movies and, and I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty imaginative guy. I can, I can write and put stuff down. Um, but to be able to write it, put it down and then also bring it back and put it on film is just, okay. You got this much imagination. Then when you get the, you got to bump it up past where, you know, that, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Well, the, the big, the big challenge really comes down to, the spark of creation is the most exciting thing and it is dull by the time you get to the end of, of production or even let alone post-production. So the big thing is to not always just chase that feeling of excitement for the new, you have to kind of let that be and accept that like, I love this. I'm so excited about it and it will be so tedious very soon, but I have to see it through to the end. And that's really what's gotten me to you know, make so many movies and complete so many movies is the willingness to do the, the really tedious stuff right at the end. Um, but I do love uh, and chase that, that spark moment, but I know that it's ignorant to think it's going to last the entire production. I mean, that's why so many people that want to make a movie or want to make a TV show or whatever, they just have an idea and then they have another one and another one and another one, but no scripts. 
because the ideas are the fun part. The ideas are the exciting part. You know, you're not really solving problems in the idea phase. You're just creating. But then, you know, when you sit down and, uh, and write it, it's nothing but problems. You know, you solve a thousand problems. Now you have a screenplay that's, you know, welcome, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's really like what I've discovered is, is the biggest benefit is that I, it's an act of will. That's what it really comes down to. It's an act of will. You just have to go, okay, uh, only I can make this happen and I better go do it or else. So. <laughs> now, now I, I was going to ask you last, you know, when I talked to you years ago, uh, but I gotta ask you now, have you ever made a movie that you went back and looked at and went, oh, man, uh, I wish I had never made that one, you know, as an adult. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah, as an adult, not as not you did as a kid. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, I've been very fortunate that I like all of my movies very much. the The tricky thing is that that takes a lot of work. It, it's like I think that's the reason why I lean into directing more than any other job, it, is because I like to direct any story. I mean, if you give me a script that's really good and I can finance it or it has financing or whatever, I'm going to get excited about it because my job as a director is to find what is exciting in the story for me to tell uh, because I'm not writing it myself. I have to look at it and kind of see that and bring it out. And that's a very exciting prospect for me. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun to do that. But so like uh, a good example would be Amityville No Escape. Mm-hmm. We shot that film and it was a relatively smooth process, but it was a, it was minorly troubled. We had some really weird weather and stuff and we were shooting at night and like one night it was so hot. We could, we were like sweating our asses off. And then the next night it was literally so cold. We were shivering and struggling and trying to figure out if we could get a coffee maker to the location. Like it was really bad. But when the film was done, Eric Whiting, my editor on that, he cut it together and it came out to a little short. It was like 71 minutes. So it was a little short, but I wasn't very happy with it. I didn't think it was all bad, but I thought that there were pieces. I felt like if we removed some of the stuff that didn't work, it would elevate the entire product pr production. And, but I had been telling myself over and over again, eh, yeah, yeah. But like, let's just, let's just move on. Like it's shot. It's done. Like, let's move on. And what happened was we did a world premiere screening of, I believe, I want to say it was making out. I think it was making out that we screened. We, we had a world premiere of making out and the audience was just hooting and hollering and laughing and having a really great time. And it's one of the best experiences ever to show a movie. And, and comedies are fun because you get feedback. Yeah. And it's instantaneous. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like when I showed, when I screened Calamity Jane's Revenge, I was shocked that people walked up to me and told me they loved it because it was so quiet. There were only a few jokes in the whole movie. It's really, yeah. it's a Western. It's just a Western. And so after I heard people laughing and having a great time and telling me how great the movie is and how much they can't wait for the next one and all this stuff, I, I felt this incredible weight of like, I got to go like tomorrow morning. I got to wake up in that office, watch that movie again and again. And we got to make this a good movie. Because if I don't stand fully behind it, then how can anybody else? So I sat down and I watched it like three times that Saturday morning. And all I knew was it definitely needed stuff taken out. But then the movie would be way too short. So I was like, okay, 
well, if we're, if it's going to be too short, if we take stuff out, we need to add in quality. So that's where the Julia Gomez uh, 1990s era found footage element comes in where it's two different found footage stories being told an A story and a B story. And the B story takes place in 1997 because we shot it on a 1987 camera. So I sat, I, I sat up one night. Well, first of all, I called Eric. Actually, I think we were still living in the same house at the time. So I think I just knocked on his door, but, <laughs> but I told Eric, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out everything that you don't think works perfectly. And he was like, all right. So then about three or four days later, he's like, here you go. And it was 51 minutes. So I was like, okay, we know what we need now. You know, we know how much, how much stuff we need. So I sat down with a notepad and I wrote an outline of all of the sequences with Julia Gomez's character. And I was like, okay, we have a, we have a cheat here, which is we know what the movie is. Like we know what we have. So every single Julia scene has to be super strong and super intense. And that's why I cast her as that in that role was because Julia is one of the best actresses I've ever worked with. I mean, she's just very, she pulls you in when you watch her. So that was number one. It was like hire a ringer, get the best possible actor you can for, since they're, they're here. The way I described, she was like uh pepper, you know, like you sprinkle it throughout the movie and makes the movie all of all of the movie better. better. Yeah. So I put that all together. We shot all of her scenes in one day, very intense day. And then I gave them all to Eric. He cut them in. And to Eric's credit, he chose where they should go in the movie. I didn't. Uh, I told him if you want to take a crack at it, he could go for it. So he did. And he did a great job of kind of combining so that whenever there was a big scare on Julia's side, that was when we went away and didn't come back for a while. That way you had to wonder what happened next and, and things like that. So the thing is, when I remember when he handed me the new cut and it was... 78 minutes or so it was the right amount of length it was ready to rock it just needed me to polish it i remember watching it and having like and having no joke and having like tears in my eyes because like this is good like this kicks it has a great pace the characters come across great and julia's segments always make sure that you cannot lose it you know you don't get lost because whenever she pops back up no matter what is happening in the a story the b story is so intense because literally if you watch that movie again Every scene Julia is in, she's either scared or crying or yelling or mad or just acting cute, like, but like really aggressively, like Mm -hmm. every scene is like, is like up to is 11, you know, it's all very melodramatic. And that was on purpose. I actually, I can't name the film, but I actually uh, did a, um, I did a, a hatchet man job on a movie that had been shot and the filmmaker didn't deliver what we needed. So I was hired by the producers to shoot about 20 or 16, 17 minutes, similar thing. We cut out all the bull crap and then the movie was like 61 minutes. So we were like, well, crap, shit. Well, actually the distributor actually tried to sell that and all their sub distributors were like, this isn't a feature. And I was like, I would have told you that they're not going to let you sell a 61 minute movie. So, so uh, they hired me and I shot about 20 minutes of new footage, but much like Amityville, I had no access to the original cast or anything. I I couldn't like, there weren't reshoots. So I had to make up an entirely new B story. And much like Amityville, every scene is like the character, the main character in those scenes is either crying or yelling or screaming or upset or about to die or, you know, like just really, it was just emotional paprika. Like the movie needed more emotion. It needed more to feel like it was at stake. And yeah. that B story really helped bring that to it. And I think that the movie, 
um, was not a bad movie to begin with. It was just a, it was just a good 61 minute movie and it, that was not allowed. It was a terrible 80 minute movie. Uh, so, but that 20 minutes taken out really helped. So it's addition by subtraction. That's a major element of filmmaking. So we shot this. This is the funniest part. We shot the scenes, cut them, put them into the movie. I did an entire overhaul of the whole film sound and everything. Got it really like got it to the point where I was like, this is a high end professional movie, like without a doubt. And then I handed it to the distributor and they were like, I don't get it. And I was like, what? And they were like, I appreciate all the work you did. And I appreciate how, uh, how, you know, high quality everything turned out, but I, it feels like it's just now the movie's just convoluted. It doesn't add anything to it. And I'm sitting there like, man, I watched, I think it added an immense, it just added all of the emotion that the movie was lacking because again, to be frank, the director didn't really care to get emotion on screen. He was just getting the scenes and moving on. And I would know cause I was there. So uh, I wasn't overseeing the production. I wish I had been, but that's a whole other conversation. So they say that, and this is a movie that was turned down by every distribution partner they offered it to. Then they take that new cut and the first major distributor they show it to took it <laughs> like snapped it right up um and it got a it got a massive first run uh video release and i don't know how well it's doing but that's not my purview because i don't own any part of that movie i got my paychecks and i and i went home but uh but that was an example of how i like i remember i took a deep breath and was just like i knew i was right i knew i was right <laughs> So that's, I mean, that's the life, man. So my point is, uh, the one time I thought maybe I wasn't going to like the movie I was making, uh, I fixed it and I'm glad I did. Cause to the, now I think, I think Amityville until I think pre devil's trail, Amityville, no escape was my scariest movie, but I think devil's trail maybe is a little scarier, but they're both my scariest in my opinion. Um, but I think Amityville's like, we were able to make so much, we were able to do so many fun things with that movie and that, and that B story having, you know, the, the vintage film look or the vintage video look rather. And, and, uh, and the way we did kind of a wild, crazy bending mind bending ending. That was when I knew we had something was when I wrote that ending. I was like, Oh man, you know, now we, now we're cooking with gas. So yeah, I, I try to never give up. And that's the thing, you know, that's the thing I really sincerely believe is um, movies. They're important. I mean, they're very important to me obviously, but they're important. And the idea of a movie sitting in a drawer, never being seen, pisses me off. Um, I recently contacted a, a, a Dayton filmmaker who's not been active in a long time, but he had a movie he made in like 2001 and it's never been, it, it was like on DVD copies around town and that's it. But it's a real feature length movie. And I'm tr I've been trying to get him to, to license me the rights so I can put it into the world. I don't know that it'll make much money, but it won't cost much money to put it out there. And I just hate the idea. It's just sitting there. It pisses me off. So th that's the, you know, that's the thing is you never give up. It's like a similar, another story happened. One of the movies I financed, the guy was total, ugh, and I don't even want to, but like that movie, he had screwed it up so bad. I had to shoot a bunch of stuff to get it back into fighting shape. But I never gave up on that movie. I had spent a lot of my money on it and got very little in return for it. But now it's doing insanely well on video on demand. It took five years. 
And now all of a sudden it's like returning its budget every quarter. And I'm like, this is insane. So you just don't ever give up. Cause I always say this and I mean it, you can't lose if you don't quit period. Yeah. Well, you were, you said the other day, was it last week or week when you were uh, streaming about just making movies, just if, if you want to make a movie, make a movie. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause you know, it, it's one of the ones where I wanted to do something and it happened during the quarantine. I was bored at home. I was going stir crazy. I'm one of the people who has to stay busy constantly. I totally get it. <laughs> and um, so I'm literally, I would get up in the morning and I would get my kid ready and then I'd work out and then I would play with my kid and then I would go to the shop, try to get things done. And then I'd come home and I'd just like hours upon hours of nothing to do. And I don't go to bed till real late at night. And so I started writing and I started doing this. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I should bring back my podcast and actually put some effort into it. And so I started doing that. And then that sort of evolved. And then I started doing the Saturday morning serial show. And I started doing, and it was one of the ways to keep me busy and to keep me putting out content and have fun putting out content. And, you know, where I don't have the ability to put together a movie uh, because one is I've tried and it's literally gotten to the point where I can't get locations or I can't get people on the times when I would need them. So I'm like, you know what? The only person I got to rely on is me. I put together my own show. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm still not, the, the, the movie thing is still like over here and I can, I can, I can like, I almost touch it and it still may come to fruition, but it's like, I, now I have all this software because I do all this recording and, and editing on my computer at home. I'm like, I have cameras and stuff. I'm like, it wouldn't take that much more <laughs> to do maybe shorts and then movie make yeah. them into an anthology series and stuff like that. So, and I'm, I think I'm a pretty good host, so I could just host it up on <laughs> as an anthology series. Yeah. Why not? I don't yeah. see any reason not to. Yeah. Um, so we've said that, do you have any other advice for people who want to make movies? I mean, the best advice I have is very, is it's simple when I'm trying to make sure I boil it perfectly down. Cause I could say like, oh, the best camera you have is the one, the best camera is the one you have. That's true. Yeah. You know, the, and I always say like the best movie to make is the one you could make, start making tomorrow. And that's true. But really what it all boils down to is. Don't tell yourself no, because the entire world is going to tell you no, you know, maybe, maybe not your mom or your wife or whatever, but, but nearly everybody is going to tell you no to mm -hmm. an idea, a concept or whatever you're going to run with. Don't join the chorus of no's getting a no is not special. So don't do that to yourself. Don't sit there and be like, I'd make a movie, but. I don't have a camera, but I don't know how, but I don't this, I don't that. Those are just uh, problems to solve. You have to be the first yes that you hear. And you keep saying yes to yourself until people dig hearing that yes so much that they have to join that chorus. And I sincerely cannot tell you 
the day that I woke up and all of a sudden more people said yes than no. It just happened one day. One day it just, it just flipped. I don't know when, I mean, I know what happened maybe eight years ago, somewhere in that range, but like, that's it. I don't know. I didn't wake up one day and go, aha, the birds are singing and I have a career. It, it, it doesn't happen like that. You just have to put your head down and do the work. And that's, so that's the big thing is you don't tell yourself, no, give yourself solutions and, and, and just make the movie. I mean, you're gonna, we're all gonna suck some when we start. Mm -hmm. That's normal. That's human. If you don't suck, then you're not trying anything new. If you don't, if you're not bad at it to start. Yeah. Well, you got to know like, before you can run. Yeah. 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 You got <laughs> exactly. So make, make a movie, you know, and it doesn't mean you have to make a feature. I mean, if anything, I wouldn't recommend anybody make a feature to start because I always, I always say make a short and see if you even like the process. Cause you're allowed to try something new and not like it too. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're allowed to be like, all right, I bit into the sushi roll and I don't like it. You're allowed to do that. So why aren't you allowed to be like, all right, I made one short. I think it turned out nice. I didn't love it. Like it was really stressful and I don't feel like the reward was worth it for me. That's allowed. <laughs> that's totally acceptable. And that's why I also tell people who've only made like, who have made a feature or two. Uh, I often tell them if they've only made like one or two features, I'm like, you don't even know what you like about making movies yet. Like you're still figuring that out. I didn't know what I actually liked about making movies until my fourth film. That was when I started to understand what I actually enjoyed about the process so much. So just, you just run with it, go with it. And, and most importantly, create something you can make a, I mean, I highly recommend if you haven't seen like uh, the short films on my YouTube channel, Every single short on my YouTube channel was shot in a half a day. And I know that I have the experience to shoot a good looking movie in half a day. Sure. Well, then give yourself a whole day. Oh my God. Give yourself a whole day. But my point, the point of those is they're exercises for me because I want to know that I have my, my skills are still sharp enough that I can take a four minute concept and deliver goods. It doesn't take more than two or three or four minutes to deliver a story. It doesn't. No. Well, um, one, oh my God, I can't remember how long ago you did it. Uh, the short with you, uh, um, Aaron and the monster under the bed. Oh, bed demon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, what is that? What is that? Five minutes? It's not long it's at all. Yeah, at most. Yeah. That's great. And it's funny. And it's. And that's, uh, you know, once you have an idea, you like, you run with it. That's what that comes down to. Yeah. Because that's what that was. Aaron and I came up with that, that short because we were in a hotel room together. And I started doing that voice. I started talking like this. And, and it was like, as if I was a demon under her bed. I just, because literally it all started with, we were just laying in a room in silence and dark. And I just all of a sudden went, I was like, come under the bed with me. And instead of Aaron like laughing or anything, she just went, um, I'm, I'm not going to be doing that. <laughs> and then it became this thing where the next morning we were like in the elevator on our way down to the convention and we were still like going back and forth with like, put your head over the edge of the bed. I, why, why would I ever want to do that? I'm not going to be doing that. And so when we shot it, <clears throat> we shot like 11 minutes of back and forth and I just chopped it up, you know, moved it around and, and stuff like that. And that's an example of when you have a good idea, just do it and people will enjoy it. And that's why I like shorts because 
I think that if you're making like an 11 or 12 minute short, you know, it's going to be hard to really grab people quickly and efficiently. But when you do something that's like four minutes long, basically all you have is set up, set up punchline. That's all you get. And short films are like jokes. They are. It's a setup, setup, punchline. So every time I've done any short film, I've been like, okay, what's the punchline? And then you work backwards from that. So like, okay, the punchline is Santa statues alive. Okay, let's work backwards from that. Oh, the punchline is there's already a killer in the house and we made you think there was no killer. Okay, back from that. You know, oh, the the gag was that uh, uh, this guy ate the the Halloween candy and now the demon's going to rip the candy out of his stomach. Uh, Let's work backward from there. It's very, that's, it's very simple compared to doing that with a feature like Hitchcock always says, like, I start with the ending and I work backward. Yeah, that's great. But you know, if it's going to be 90 minutes, that's a lot of working backwards, but if it's going to be four minutes, you could like knock that out on a napkin with a pen, you know, <laughs> you could though. Oh yeah. And, and the fact is, like I said, it's funny. And, and Aaron's like deadpan yeah. is, is so great. Um, I, 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 she's one of the ones that I, I really wish that's like, she's like on the verge, you know what I mean? And, um, that was funny. I, I love that. Some of her, you know, the stuff she's done in your movies is fun. Um, but yeah, just do the sh- The shorts that you've worked on are hilarious. Uh, some of them are scary. You know, you just, you, you figure out how to take this much time pack in this much entertainment so and 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 you know that's because that's the thing at the end of the day we always i do it to myself too we always make it seem like a bigger feat than it is Mm -hmm. like the screen that you have to fill with image is really just about like this big Mm -hmm. it's really not even that big you know like you just need like a face in a chair you know like there's not a lot of room actually so just fill the frame and go you know just get going um and that's why i do those shorts is it's like it's my way of having fun with the because unlike what i told you about like how the spark gets to fizzle and fade on a four minute movie i mean it's all spark there's there is no uh chance for it to fizzle and fade by the time i'm starting to be tired of it people are already watching it it's like totally done in every way so because i that was the other thing when i did whenever i do shorts people are always surprised if they've never done them before because we shoot it in like a half day and they're like okay cool i look forward to seeing it. i'm like it should be up wednesday it's like sunday i'm like you should it should be up wednesday and they're like what and i'm like maybe thursday if the music guy needs an extra day and they're like really i'm like it's only four minutes <laughs> like of course it'll be ready so and there are other fun challenges too like the most recent one i did which was called he knows when you're sleeping christmas horror thing it's only like four or five minutes it has no dialogue it's just music and storytelling through photography and i loved that challenge that was a really fun thing for me to do and it wasn't just fun because of the the creativity element too it was also fun because there's no sound there was just no sound to worry about so Mm -hmm. i got to show up on set and be like ah no microphones we're just pointing cameras and acting out scenes and you know doing action and it's, you know, it's fun to kind of pare things down and try doing it that way. Uh, that made it a lot more fun for me. Yeah. Oh, man, like I said, you're, I, I love your movies. I've had a Thank blast you. knowing you for years. Um, you're, you're legitimately, you're, you're, you're one of the coolest guys I know. Cause you just, but, but the thing is, is that you're, you just do your thing and you don't worry about anything else you know you're just you know yeah you're, you yeah you gotta worry about other stuff but you're not <laughs> trying to be 
you know, you don't you don't have to put on a face to be uh, to go to work to make sure that people like you. Not, not that people don't like you. No. Well, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. there's a, it's a mixed bag, but I, I yeah. like to think mostly positive. <laughs> I, but you just you you have fun doing what you want to do. You've made a living out of it, and you're pursuing your dreams. And you know, um, I talked to a guy who was a bass player, and he was a metal guy and stuff like that. Well, he became a, a you know basically a gun for hire. And he was, did a country band and he also did a cover band. And I looked at him, he's like, oh man, I'm just, I don't know how I feel. I'm like, are you having fun doing music? Well, yeah. Are you having fun playing? Yeah. Then what's the problem? You're doing what you want to do. Maybe you're doing it for somebody else and you're getting a paycheck, but you're still having fun doing what you're doing. And you're, and you're able to do that. I mean, that's amazing that you do your own stuff. You're working for other people. You're putting together stuff for other people. And, and like I said, it's just, you know, it's just cool and knowing that, that, you know, you were able, um, is, I I mean, I wasn't there from the beginning, but I I think I've known you relatively long enough. I watched you, you know, when you were doing the camera on a movie back in 2012, maybe, I think. It was a little bit before that. Yeah. Just a smidge. It was like 2011, probably. Yeah. Or maybe even 2010. Yeah. And, and, you know, you were this kid to me because, you know, <laughs> sure. I, I, and, uh, cause at that point I was in my thirties and, yeah, and I was like 25 or 24. Yeah. Yeah. And just watching you go from, you know, the cameraman and then watching you putting out these movies and then going to the theater to see, um, um babysitter and then being in uh uh bulldog for christmas and then going to see in you know some of your other movies in theater and then now i know people who have been in your movies and i see you getting like big name actors and it's just amazing because i've i've watched you grow and <laughs> and it's it's uh i mean i, I know when they're the whole entire time but it's it's you know it, it's it's fun to see somebody that i know go from being, you know, a kid with a camera helping somebody else out to being, you know, his own man, you know, and, and kicking sure. butt. So. I mean, and we all are just at the end of the day in the truth, we're all just a kid with a camera. That's what it really, at the end of the day, what it all comes down to. I remember the first time I worked with a, with like a celebrity actor and it dawned on me. I was like, wow, this person flew from Los Angeles. They, uh, they got paid an, an, an exorbitant amount of money compared to everybody else. And then we just did a skit and played pretend for five hours together. Wow. It really doesn't. It really isn't. It's all same. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's, it's funny because I, I was asked a few, uh, like a year or so ago and people are like, when are you going to grow up and, and get a regular job? I'm like, what, <laughs> you know, I'm doing what I love to do. I get to spend time with my wife and my kids and, and, and my friends. I, I get to be around my, you know, comics. I get to watch movies all day and stuff like that. I was like, I couldn't do that if I had a, you know, a regular job. Oh yeah. And I'm an adult. And I looked at some of these people. I'm like, you no, know, I make more money than you do. Right. You know, and I do <laughs> what I want to do. Um, 
and 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 it's not like it's not being a jerk or nothing or you know but it's it's you know it's having fun enjoying it yourself and being i wish i would have been able to do this years ago sure uh, unfortunately i i did it in my late 30s and um i i started trying to do it in my early you know when i was younger and i just didn't have the mindset yeah mm-hmm. you did, we weren't ready that's no, all I wasn't right. ready yeah. now now i'm in i got employees and yeah. If you had told me when I was 22 or 23, when I first, when I had my first movie come out nationally, mm-hmm. was when I was like 23, if you had told me then, Hey Henrik, you'll be full-time by the time you're like 28, I would have been like, <laughs> we'll see what I can do before I'm 40. That's exactly the way I thought. I was like, we'll see about maybe in 15 years. I, no one is more surprised than me that I did it a bit younger than I intended. But that wasn't entirely my choice. It was a my uh, former uh, boss who has no genitals, by the way, um, uh, fired me suddenly from my job. And then I was like, huh, maybe it's time to just try not working for people with no genitals like him. So <laughs> yeah, I heard the horror story. <laughs> well, that's, that's yeah. I um, so that's what happened to me. I got I got fired from a job I'd been at for years that I hated. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went and did a couple jobs. I ended up finding a job. I, I kind of enjoyed, I worked at a printing company and then the, the, the only reason I, I'm not working there now is literally the company went out of business, Yeah. but I was still running my shop and making great money, but I didn't mind my job, yeah. you know? And I ran into the guy who fired me years ago at Walmart and I wanted to thank him. Yeah. But instead, he ran from me, and I never got to tell him. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what happened. If my boss, my old boss, saw me at the store or something, he'd like hide behind some uh, some shelving or something, and I'd be like, "Good, good, go back to your hole." Uh, <laughs> yeah, I legitimately wanted to walk up to him and go, "Hey, George, thank you." I was like, <laughs> "I don't, I, I put in a hard twenty five hours a week at my job." I get to spend time with my wife and kids. I have more money than I've ever had in my entire life. And it's all because you fired me. Thank you. Yeah. But you know, that's the funny thing. I wish that my crappy boss with no genitals at my old job, I wish that he had not been such a tool about letting me go because if he had let me go with some, he he was just a douche about it Mm -hmm. and like deleted me from Facebook and like blocked me on social media and stuff after he let me go and made sure to tell me it's not personal. And he did that, but I'm not even saying that to, to press some sour grapes. It's because I want to say that because if he hadn't done all that to me, if he just said the other stuff about why I needed to leave the workplace, you know, that I just wasn't a good fit and maybe it was time for us to part ways. I'd been there for three years. Mm -hmm. If he had just said that stuff, I would be sending him a fruit basket Every year thanking him because he was right. I did not fit there. Mm-hmm. I should, I, that was not the place where I needed to be earning my living. He was right about the one thing in his entire life. Everything else totally wrong. I'm positive. So. <laughs> yeah. You got it. it. It's, it's funny that, that there's people in your life that come in and will just throw something horrible at you. Like, like letting you go. And um, mine is, he wouldn't even talk to me. He sent somebody else out to tell me that I was Uh gone. And I was like, well, can I talk to him? He doesn't want to talk to you. And I'm Uh, like, okay, whatever. 
Uh, I was mad when it happened. Sure. Uh, within, you know, six months, I was like, man, that was, I'm pretty glad I'm out of there. Yeah. And now I look back at it because it's 12 years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, best thing ever happened to me. I'm not working in a factory. I can hear again. My yeah. knees don't hurt all the time. No, for sure. It's, it, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's not for the weak of heart running your own business, but it is very rewarding if you can stand it. You yeah. know? <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong. I've said this before too, is uh, uh, I've talked to people who've walked away from thriving stores because they just got to the point where they just didn't want to deal with it no more. And I was like, Oh, don't get me wrong. There are days where I could just go, Nope, I'm done. I'm oh, out. Bye. In, in my gig, it, it, I will. So, there are some days I wake up and I get my emails or my calls or whatever. And I take a deep breath and go, today is the day I'm actually earning my money. Like most days I, I get paid for what feels like nothing, but today I am earning money because it's going to, I've been, I was dealing with a lawyer all week, oh. uh, 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 delivering paperwork and stuff for a, a movie release. And it was just, I mean, nothing against the guy. He's just a lawyer and they're frustrating. Um, so in, entertainment lawyers in particular are kind of, are kind of frustrating, you know, asking you for paperwork you already gave them and then you have to send it to them for the fifth time and, you know, it's stuff like that. But those are the moments where I'm like, boy, I am earning my living right now. Uh, <laughs> when I'm on set yelling action and, and make, and making the crew laugh and the crew's making me laugh. I'm like, all right, I'm not earning shit right here. Even though this will turn into money, I'm not earning anything. But then, you know, when it's like, please read this contract, we redlined. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Cause I don't have an agent, you know, I don't have a manager. I, every, every time I work with a new distributor, they send me a really bad contract and think this Ohio boy is just going to sign it. And then I write them back and say, well, took my red marker to it. Let's see what you think. You know, like, <laughs> I know how to redline a goddamn contract. You sons of bitches. <laughs> Uh, hey, I've talked to people who like, um, oh man, put out a movie, it ended up doing well, and this is back in my uh, Hollywood video days, and legitimately they got like 500 bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, did you even like, they, they just took the first offer. And I'm like, if somebody's coming at you, man, we took 500 bucks and they're like, 500 bucks. We didn't have, it's like, I mean, sometimes, I mean, I took deal. I took, uh, not the best deals in the world at the start of my career. Oh yeah. Um, but also the, the marketplace has changed so much. Um, uh, there are deals I did like a year ago that I wouldn't do now because of how much the marketplace is like, that's how fast that it can change though. Is I'll like, look at something I signed in October of last year and be like, I don't know if I do that now. I think I might do something else. I, I know that 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 um, it's it's all about content now. Everybody's looking for content, you know. So you know, Tubi's looking for content. Plex is looking for content. Uh, all these little streaming channels and stuff like that. Like I've actually been contacted uh, about this show streaming, and. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe. I don't. I don't know if anybody will want to watch this. <laughs> I've had I've had little tiny, um, little tiny like uh, streamers that are starting out contact me and like pay me a tiny, tiny license for like a year of a movie mm-hmm. or even popcorn fodder. One guy uh, licensed popcorn fodder, um, and I was just like, sure, why not? Like, it's not going to hurt anything. Uh, 
You know, I just need you. I just need the money you pay to not be an insult and I'll be, I'm in, you know, I mean, an, an insult is, you know, uh, you know, we'll give you 25 bucks. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's like, okay. For 16 hours of content. Sounds great. So, but yeah, no, it's, it's uh, there's a lot of need for content out there, but the big thing, and, and the reason I was able to build my entire career really comes down to one simple truth. And that is if you make a movie that the marketplace wants, you'll make money. It, it, it sounds magical, but it's hard because a lot of filmmakers are very, very all, all intensely about the art and it being exactly what they want, or they have this like preconceived notion about what kind of movie sells. And most of the time, like when somebody says like, you got to make a horror movie because your know, horror movies always sell. I'm like, what is this? The seventies. I mean, I love horror movies and I start, I built my career starting on horror movies, but I, I, to be completely frank, the moment my career went from hobby to career was after my first non-horror movie, because those have been surprisingly successful and uh, dipping my toe into like the family genre, the Western genre, comedy genre, all of those have been beneficial. The horror movies still do all right too, but like at this juncture, the marketplace for horror movies is so soft. I wouldn't finance a horror movie with my own money. Like that's like, that's where I'm at personally is like, I would finance, um, you know, a Christmas movie with my own money. I would finance a raunchy beach comedy, which I did with my own money. Um, uh, but I would not finance uh, a horror movie because uh, one filmmaker came to, they really wanted to work with me, but they only want to make a horror movie. And I was like, well, then I don't, I mean, that's not what I want to do. Like I told you. And he was like, well, what would, what would it take for you to make a horror movie? And I was like, I guess if it was the perfect subgenre and it cost almost nothing. And he was like, oh, and I was like, you asked, you asked. Like, I, <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to pitch one to you. It's, oh goodness! Okay. Super subgenre horror <laughs> movie. Uh, it is a coming of age horror movie involving time travel and a potential eating hag witch. <laughs> well, it won't play in China, but it might do all right elsewhere. <laughs> I, I wrote that script, and it, it, it all started out as a true. Semi-true story about me and my friends going from junior high to high school. So that age between 13 and 14. And then somehow it, it became uh, a horror movie involving a hag witch thing. That <laughs> I, I had to figure out how to make it entertaining outside of being just bone-crushingly de de <laughs> depressive. Oh, to me, that's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> I, what was, I, was, I went and saw Father Stew the other day, and as I was walking out, the, the people at my local theater, they all know me. So as, as I'm walking out, one guy says, what do you think of it? I'm like, and I'm like, well, if you like crying, which I do, this is a great film for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's fun because I, I get, I grew up um, here in Piqua. I, I've, I've not ventured too far out in my own personal life. Um, the theater here, the, the theater I grew up with was a little two-screen theater. Everybody there knew me from when I was a kid till they basically shut it down and it moved out to the mall. And then everybody out there knew me. Um, and then now a lot of the people know me from the theater here in town. Um, I was going, when I lived in Tip City, when I lived in Troy, I was going on down to Huber, same way when I lived in Tip City. 
Uh, but now I'm back in Pickle. I'm literally five minutes away from the theater instead of driving all the way to Huber, even though you get yeah. the better seats and the, uh, <laughs> but, and it's always cause everybody's like, they'll walk out and they're like, what'd you think? I'm like, and eh, okay. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh, I loved it. You know, is it, is it a good movie? No. Is it a fun movie? Yes. You know, I'm like that guy. <laughs> and now, now everybody always asks me because I, I, I have to usually watch movies on Thursdays because if I don't watch movies on Thursdays, everybody ruins it for me before I can get to see it on Sundays. <laughs> and uh, so literally I, I go to the first one of the first showings. I try to avoid everything. And then everybody asks me the entire weekend if they should go to that movie. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, or no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it I don't know. I, I'm, I've been a movie kid. Um, I don't ever see that changing. Um, yeah. I, I, if you would have told like 12 year old Paul that there'd be constant movies that you could watch anytime you wanted to without having to go to the video store or go to the theater, um, I would have been an albino because I would have never. <laughs> <laughs> This gray oh, hair would have been from lack of sunlight, not from old age. <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right for me, too. Oh, yeah. And, and I remember being a kid, and, and I, when I started buying VHS tapes, and everybody's like, why are you buying tapes? I was like, because I want to watch this movie more than once. You watch a movie more than once? <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. It's like talking to people and like if, if ever had to tell somebody that you've watched the movie probably like 50 times and it was like you watched it what <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah and, I, and the movies i often watch again and again are like movies like eddie presley and stuff so people are like what i don't i've never even heard of that movie you've seen it 80 times and i'm like yeah god you're dumb you know <laughs> you should love it too mine right now is is that i i'm watch, i was watching gargoyles the 72 made for tv movie Oh yeah, and I guarantee you, I've seen that movie a hundred times at least. And that was back in the day when it was just on late night television. Was <laughs> I most recently saw it when Sven Gulli hosted it, so it was a good re retread. Yeah, I I got that one DVR'd. Um, Doctor Muto, uh, Jonathan Blackburn from the Dayton area hosted one. And I got a copy off of him. And that was, he did pretty good with that one. So it was nice. a pretty good cut of the show. So, oh man. But I've, I'm, I've kept you for almost two hours. Yeah, um, I, gotta, I gotta rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna let you go, sir. Uh, I greatly appreciate this. Of course. Um, this will probably drop in like two weeks. Um, cool. And then I will be seeing you the end of June if I don't see you before then. Um, and as always, if you need to shoot in a comic book store, you can <laughs> You'd be the first person I call, I assure you. Uh, except for I'd have like I'd have like 10 people come over. Do you think they'd let me be in the movie? I'm like, I don't know, ask him. Right. <laughs> you gotta ask the guy in the wacky pants. Yeah. So take care, <laughs> sir. Have you a too. good night, and I will see you soon, man. Take Sounds care. good. Later. Later. All right. Uh, it was a great interview with Henrik. As always, Henrik's a super cool dude. 
you can find his movies on Tubi. You can find them on uh, probably, I think, Amazon. Um, he has such movies as uh, Calamity Jane's Revenge, starring former uh, interviewee Aaron Ryan, uh, Scare Waves, which, there we go, boom. Uh, and there's where you talked about Amityville, No Escape, uh, Babysitter Massacre, boom. Uh, Haunted House on Sorority Row. Wow, that case is just disintegrating. What the hell? Uh, Bleeding Through, Depression the Movie, and Ouija Room. And also, go find the one that I was in. Go watch Bulldog for Christmas and see if you can see Paul wandering around in the background. Wow, what the hell? So, all right, take care. Uh, I will see you Friday night for Sci Fridays. I will see you Saturday for Saturday Morning Serials. And I will see you every Monday for more group therapy tv so as always brought to you by are you game the best comic book collectible shop located at 124 north drive pickle ohio 45556 had to throw that in here at the end and take care everyone later